0: real conversation and some hard truths, gangs, drugs, and guns, giving a voice to those willing to sacrifice. We have stories that need to be told. We have lessons that need to be taught, protect, and serve. Welcome to The Quiet Professional. All right. Welcome, everyone. Nathan with you again. And today, uh, we got a very special guest. (laughs) everybody knows him, I think, is Stefan Vashonzi, And i uh, give you a little bit of background on him if you're one of the few people who don't know him yet. He's been in law enforcement for over 16 years. He's worked in areas such as patrol through several divisions within the city of Edmonton. Uh, he's been in BEATS unit, training section, gang suppression, and is currently assigned as the patrol sergeant uh, for one of the squads in Northeast Division. Uh, Z has focused his career in the realm of crowd management and control, where he's the training sergeant and lead training coordinator, uh, as well as the tactical advisor for the EPS's public safety unit. And Vashon Z also works in the private sector, where he's a tactics instructor and specialty training coordinator with Canadian Innovative Protective Solutions Incorporated. So welcome, Z. Thanks for having me. So we'll start where we... Uh, start with most people and tell us about Baby Z.
1: Yeah. Um, so I am uh, born and raised in Edmonton and the area. Um, I was actually born at the Royal Alec Hospital and I grew up in the north end, uh, in Castle Downs actually. Uh, stayed there till I was about five and then uh, my parents ended up splitting up. Uh, so uh, when they split up, um, my dad stayed in North Edmonton. My mom ended up uh, meeting a guy, getting remarried. Uh, we all moved to St. Albert, and then I spent the rest of my childhood uh, in St. Albert and in Sturgeon County, so just north of St. Albert. Uh, I could draw you a really big, cool picture of my family tree, because it's a lot of branches, but... Um, so my my dad ended up remarrying, uh, stayed in Edmonton. Uh, so I have a, a half-sister from that. I have a half-brother uh, from my mom and my my stepfather. Um, but yeah, I, I, spent all my formative years here in town. Um, went to school in St. Albert, uh, was not a very good student. <laughs> 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 I got myself in some trouble and, um, funny enough. Uh, so my, my father, uh, was in the military. He was, uh, or has worked for the government just recently retired, actually. So he worked for, um, Solicitor General CAPS, then the sheriffs. Uh, my stepfather was a career police officer. His brother was a career police officer. Um, my aunt married a, a police officer who was a career police officer. So, and my grandfather was in the, in the Air Force. So uh, when I was 12, I joined uh, air cadets in, in St. Albert. Didn't really like it. Went to army cadets in Edmonton. So um, when I was growing up, um, like I said, I was kind of a rambunctious kid. So I got myself in, in some trouble in school, but not, not big trouble, but enough that my parents were being driven crazy. <laughs> and then, uh. Old Bunny Doon at Edmonton uh, turned into Vimy Ridge Academy, which at the time was a Mm -hmm. a Canadian studies cadet program. So my parents were kind of at their wits end and went, okay, whatever. We're going to send you to this school. Can't get any worse. So hopefully it gets better. (laughs) And, uh, you know, luckily for me, I took to the discipline uh, on the cadet side and I took to the discipline um, going to that school and things got a lot better for me. So, um, I ended up, um, teaching a bunch of courses in high school uh, on survival and and different things like that. And then on the uh, cadet side, uh, I rose to the rank of the cadet uh, chief warrant officer and then was the regimental sergeant major of my cadet corps. So there was a lot of uh, leadership opportunities given to me very early. And then I had a lot of mentors uh, in the military, in the cadet program, uh, teachers at the the school I went to at uh, Vimy Ridge. Which kind of directed my path another way, which was which was really good. <clears throat> so I, at the ripe old age of 18, uh, funny enough, I was going to join the military. That was my goal. It's what I always kind of wanted to do, if not to be a police officer later on. And uh, my mom came to me one day and she's like, here, this is a package for Grant McEwen. I filled it out for you. You're going <laughs> to put it in. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I looked and it's uh, police studies. So I'm like, oh, okay, what, what hurt could it? could it do well i got in Mm -hmm. so i said okay i'll go do this college thing i I, i've never really liked school but i did it and then i actually did quite well at it what was your best subject when you're in school uh so in high school with social studies i love history Mm. i love it um i still to this day like i'm a big nerd for reading so I, i read a lot of history books uh and then in school uh sociology And then, uh, what was the other one that I did? I I mean, in in Grand Mac, there was a lot of uh, police-centric courses Mm -hmm. that we took. So I I did well at those because I was interested. But I I really like sociology, actually. I didn't really like my teacher in college, uh, but I enjoyed the subject. And then, uh, because I went to college very young, I was hired at Kingsway Security. Mm -hmm. And I worked there for, uh, I want to say, about nine months. And then this is the old kingsway the old kingsway yeah with the bus terminal with in the it. bus terminal yeah no i was it was actually a really good place to work it was quite yeah. busy yeah and then i took my very first uh ppct so control tactics course taught by uh mark bloxham who later became a boss and a friend and uh, well, yeah. i mean we'll get into that but um at the end of the course he looked at me and he's like hey how would you like to work somewhere else that you get a little bit more experience and i'm like oh yeah where would that be he says, well, West Edmonton Mall has their own security program. And I knew about it, but he's like, I'm going to reach out to their boss and um, we'll see what we can do to get you an interview. So he did that. I got an interview and a couple months later, I was working at West Ed part-time. And I uh, finished college, stayed at West Ed. And it's interesting, my last year of college, I really didn't care about college per se. I was so immersed in working at West Edmonton Mall because great experience, great. Like we worked in squads. It was it was, and everybody says it, it was like the farm team to go to the police service. Yeah. Um, So, and the, you know, we've, I still have friendships from there that have carried on for almost 20 years now. Um, So I worked there from part-time to full-time, became a sergeant at, again, the ripe old age of 21. (laughs) charge of a bunch of people at the mall. And then uh, I was able to get hired uh, as a police officer. First police officer uh, or first agency that hired me was the Camrose Police Service. Mm. Um, and I can't remember how I heard about them, um, but I had, um, I think it was through a friend of mine, or, but anyway, I, uh, applied and they were trained at the time and, and I think still are by the Edmonton Police Service. Um,
0: what year would this have been?
1: 2006.
0: Did you apply anywhere else?
1: Applied to Edmonton. So I applied to Edmonton first. And, um, you know, now looking back in hindsight, I mean, I get it. They had told me, they're like, you're a good applicant, but you're too young. Mm. Like you're, I think I applied at 19. And so they said, you need to go and do a couple more things or just get a little bit of experience. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I waited probably a year. And then I applied to cameras because I thought, well, maybe that could be the experience that I, I need to get yeah. and go work there. And then I was hired there. Um, so I I was hired by them. I started class in July, no, August, sorry, of 2006. Um, and then I worked in Camrose for, uh, 18 months, maybe just over, and then came back to Edmonton as an experienced, like, an experienced officer. <laughs> and you then, can see a
0: lot in 18 months on this job. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah, It's I pretty agree. crazy. I agree. <laughs> you probably have more experience in, in a lot of aspects than most people in their life.
1: Yeah. And you know what, working in, uh, working in Camrose is very, um, It it was really good. I mean, it's not as busy as Edmonton, obviously. It's quite a bit smaller. Um, Different demographics, different dynamics in the police service. But certainly you do a lot more because there's not as much support. It's just you guys, right? Like, Mm -hmm. they have some clerical staff. But at the end of the day, um, there's a lot of processes, things I learned to do there um, that I I never would have learned here in Edmonton. So,
0: One of the things I would think is it gives you more of an appreciation for the people behind the scenes because I forget the number they said here but if you're a constable in edmonton it's something like seven people as support staff to make you a functional constable on the street yes so
1: yeah and there um at the time i don't think it's much bigger now but um we would have um stenos that would do certain things but there was only one or two working at a time so in a lot of the files um like there was a lot of impaired a lot of drug work um at the time that i was there um but you were relied upon to do the, the lion's share of that work because we didn't want to overburden the, the two people doing that work and yeah. they only have so much time. Um, so I would, yeah, and I would suggest there was one support staff or maybe three constables there. So mm-hmm. the complete opposite end of the spectrum.
0: So, and they're not there 24 hours. And they're not there 24
1: hours, no, just <laughs> during the day. So
0: so what else was uh, cameras like? Did you live there while you were out there?
1: Uh, yeah, so I, when I first uh, went there, I actually lived with, um, so a, a girl I went to college with, um, she was hired there in the class before me. She's now an Edmonton member as well, <laughs> but, uh, I lived in her basement, uh, with the house was owned by her and her husband. And then about six months into that, uh, so I, my current wife and I started dating just after I started recruit class and we decided, well, let's try living together. Well, she had worked in Edmonton. So I, I was like, well, I'll move back to Edmonton and I'll just commute. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up living downtown in Edmonton. And then another member in Camrose, who's also an EPS member now, um, he was in my, it was a squad, but we called him platoons. Um, So he lived in Edmonton as well. So we carpooled. Wow. So we did that for about six, seven months maybe. And then the way it worked in Camrose again at the time is that every year they would mix up the platoons. So people would get moved around. Mm. And so unfortunately him and I got split up. And then, so that's kind of the one of the points where I was like, "Okay, I, I can't continue this. Like this, it, it's not a <laughs> grand scheme of things." You look at big agencies like Toronto and Vancouver. Like some people commute an hour, hour and a half one way every day. Yeah, Kamros was about an hour on a bad day, but it was too, too much for me. I was like, yeah. "I don't want to live like this." Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the, one of the catalysts for me trying to get back to Edmonton, which I always wanted to come back to Edmonton, and I, I think. For how young I was and what I wanted to do, I wanted to be busy and I wanted to learn fast. Mm. And Camrose was a good place to work. It's just not the place to do that. Yeah. So great place to raise a family. And I mean, still to this day, it's a very nice city, um, but a very, very slow pace Mm -hmm. based on how many people live there.
0: Well, and then when you come back to Edmonton, what year were you here then when you came through for the uh, experience class?
1: So I was... um, in class again, you're in, in the experienced officer program in March of 2008.
0: 2008, okay. Yeah. So what was training like uh, for
1: you? <laughs> uh, which was, so the the experienced officer class was only about eight days for us. So in my experienced officer class, there was four of us. Uh, one, I still believe is the only military policeman that's gone through it. Um, he just had a bunch of... Uh, courses and training that EPS had offered him. So he was allowed to to walk through that program. Uh, one was an ex-RCMP uh, member, but was really, really good. Um, and then the other two of us were actually in the same recruit class in Edmonton. Mm. And then he went back home to PI, and then didn't like it, so came back again. And then I came back. So we had already been trained less than two years before that. Oh, okay. So our program was quite fast. It was just Get us sworn in, get our equipment, do some training, like qualification training. And then once we were done that, they were like, "Okay, hey, you guys want to go for lunch? Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> we spent well, a lot of coffees. They don't need to waste all the money again, no. right? And no. considering cameras trained here, you've done it all. Now it's recall on whatever yeah. tools
1: they have here. Well, so, and I mean, in a, in a small class like that, there's only four of us. So you, you can, you know, as an instructor, you can easily spend a lot more time dealing mm-hmm. with anything you need to deal with, which there wasn't. Um, so we were just allowed to move on.
0: So, since you've been back here, what's
1: Edmonton like? (laughs) So, uh, I mean, Edmonton is Edmonton. It is my home, and I, you know, I grew up here. Uh, Well, we are raising our family here. Um, when I was in the EOP program, so we just like when you're in recruit class, they ask you what divisions you want to go to, Mm -hmm. and I thought to myself, like, okay cameras wasn't that busy, so let's try and just like dip my toe into it. So I put Southeast, and uh I'll never forget this. The one of the senior constables that was teaching us pulls me aside, and he's like, "Listen, you're not going to Southeast. We're going to put you downtown." And I'm like, "Oh, okay, sure, sure." <laughs> and then, so like the next week, I'm I'm in downtown division, um but I always laugh. I'm like, I came here because I wanted. Fast paced. I wanted experience. I wanted to see everything I could in policing to grow and learn. And um, I got exactly what I wished for. Yeah. Like it was a very, very, I stepped into uh, downtown when it was very, I mean, it's always been very busy, but it was certainly very busy then. And then we kind of hit a lull. And then we hit that like 2011 year where homicide spiked. Like it was just, it was crazy, crazy um, stuff to see and experience, but really, really good um, for foundational learning. And It it was a bigger
0: division back then too, so before the, we've had multiple boundary reassignments, but downtown used to be twice the size, and even when I got here, it was big, and yeah, you would come in, and it's 50 calls deep, and you could take 10 yourself, just you, and then each person on your squad, and you'd still leave with 50 calls on the board.
1: It's one of the things, uh, you know, when I talk to my members now, and you know, we—it's gotten a lot better in the last couple of months. But when I first got promoted, like it was back up to, you know, you log on, there's 40 calls waiting for you, and everybody gets overwhelmed. And I said, I'm like, I mean, we'll deal with this. But i, I bring that up. I'm like, I worked in downtown at a time where it was, it was 50, sometimes 60 calls. Yeah, it was just crazy, and uh, you just dealt with it. I mean, you buckled down, did your thing, and um, but you know, going there was was very good. I'm glad I did it. Um, I think downtown working there has a shelf life. Um, but I certainly did enjoy going there and I, um, I might have very good squad, um, was treated very well. Like it was, it was a good place to work. So what
0: were kind of some of your memorable experiences down there? <laughs> um,
1: you know what? I, when it comes to, I'll talk about the people first, I'll talk about calls after, but for people, um, so my squad was a very very tight knit squad. Um, you know, it was a little while ago, so it was a lot harder to to be accepted into the crew. Um, but um, lots of social events together. Like we we socialized probably every day. Mm-hmm. On days off, I would say half the days off. Some of us like we were just we were always together. Um, and not that that's unique, because that still happens with a lot of groups. But I mean, again, for a young man getting into the job. Um, trying to be accepted and, and be a part of this, this team and this lifestyle and this family. And, um, it was a, it was a very good place to work. I had very good sergeants. Um, I actually had two sergeants in my first squad cause one ended up moving. Another one came in polar opposite in the way that they did things and in, in their personalities, but mm. were very good to me. Um, <clears throat> downtown division at the time. Um, and, and I think still to this day, it's so busy. And oh, I know, I mean, you worked there quite a long time too, because it's so busy and it can be so dangerous and so volatile, it brings everybody together a lot faster yeah. and, and the relationships are a lot tighter. So, um, I, I, I'm very thankful for going there. Like I said, there's a shelf life and then eventually you have to go do other things. Um, but I really enjoyed that. When you talk about experiences, like I, I had many, um, I, when you talk about calls, like I was one of the first ones, I don't know if you remember uh, Papyrus, there was a, well, I mean, that was a big thing after, um, it was a string of uh, Somali community shootings, and um, I was one of the first ones through the door at that one. Um, There was a, there was a lot of high risk incidents that I ended up going to um, with that crew, being the first people through the door, doing, being the first people on scene there. Um, But I mean, that's I'd have to sit down and write a book. Like there's so <laughs> yeah, there so many that we went to. Um, but really, I mean, again, the the biggest thing, like you I always tell guys when we'll sit down and, and chat. It's like, yeah, if you were to sit down and, and go through all the experiences of um the operational things you've seen. I mean, there's lots and you kind of it fades off in the background, and you bring it back up. But I really, really enjoyed the the I guess for lack of a better term, community of downtown. And I, and I don't think it's changed. I mean, certainly there are small changes throughout the years, but that was what I enjoyed the best about being there. Um, <clears throat> we would always have squad breakfasts and, and go up in the lounge and um, eat. And we would always spend time after, like there was, there was a lot of opportunity to really form your teams and the teams that were already formed to be able to keep that, that closeness.
0: I think that's one of the things that um, might actually be missing more nowadays is a lot of that camaraderie and people don't realize like as a young person on this job, that, that camaraderie, like you said, you bring people into the fold quicker, you know, that they have your back, um, that when you go out and you get into, you get into the thick of things that people have your back and it's, it's about safety, um, I think a lot of that's missing now and you certainly see it in you know just internal issues or or complaints that people have so and also people don't have the ability to talk to one another so that also is missing to some extent but yeah downtown uh my experience when i was coming through was similar to that um i had a like a much more experienced crew i think everybody on there was like seven years to ten years Mm -hmm. It wasn't, you know. Now it's, you know, guys got two or three years, and you're the senior guy, wow, and you're, yeah. you're training all the new guys. Like, <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of stuff to take on right at the beginning. But good on you for it. Um, but yeah, we have much more experienced people, and they expected things of you, and it, it was just a different environment. Yep. So, um, what have you done since? So you were downtown, uh, and where'd you kind of go
1: from there? Uh, so I started, uh, yeah, my career in downtown. Um, I was a constable and patrol for just under two years. And then I had an opportunity, uh, through a friend of mine to work what's called the neighborhood empowerment team. And, uh, at the time I didn't really, I had never heard of that before, so I, I didn't know what that was. And, um, so I went and spoke to them and, um, it, the neighborhood empowerment team has had different, um, not variations, but it's kind of changed a little bit throughout the years. And of course there's different, uh, missions that they'll have them do, and, and I guess for lack of a better term. But when I went there, they said, hey, we'd like you to work with um, our our partner here who works for the city, who was a social worker amongst other things. He was a very, very, is a very, very smart man. <clears throat> and they said, hey, we, we'd like to have somebody that has a very street-centric uh, approach to, to policing. Like, we'd like you to, to help out with, and at the time, it was um, the issue of a lot of weapons, like edge weapons, Um on that strip of 118 which is where I was looking to go and then the sale of drug paraphernalia to for the use of drugs right because that was obviously a big issue and still is um so I accepted it and I worked for about nine months and it it actually was a very good job I, I find um and I'll talk about beats when I went there too but jobs like the net and beats it allows you to see a different perspective. I really like patrol, and I respect every member that does patrol, and I think patrol is very important. But, of course, in patrol, you go to these calls, and you never see these people again, or or you're just dealing with the same people that you see all the time. You're the band-aid. Exactly. Yeah, Where you go to, to Beats and Net and all these places, you are actually proactively trying to deal with problems. And not only that, but you're, you know, um, whether it's good guys, bad guys, whatever, you're seeing them in a different light, Um because I'm a firm believer, good people can do bad things, bad people can do very good things. And I mean, that's a, a big generality, but you get to see all sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you build relationships, and it makes you, at the end of the day, go, okay, I actually did something today that is, might have some long-lasting effect. The issue with working there for me was, I really missed being in a squad. Yeah. And I was still very young and still very new on the job. Um, <clears throat> so I actually went and left that to go back to patrol. And I, again, my partner, Chris, uh, that worked for the city, I think he's a boss with the city now, exceptionally smart man, um, did a fantastic job. We worked, uh, we believe, 118 was one of our projects where we were trying to stop the sale of edge weapons and um, drug paraphernalia to um, kind of the, the communities around there. Um, so, I mean, the biggest thing was to the vulnerable people is who they were selling it to, and that, that caused a bunch of issues. But he continued with that. Um, and yeah, I went back to work, uh, with a squad. Spent another couple years doing that. And then I applied to actually applied twice to beats. First time I didn't get it. <clears throat> Second time my sergeant, uh, and this, this has stayed with me for the rest of my career helped me interview and help or had me create a resume that I've kept ever since. Mm. Um, which allowed me to be successful in the beat program. Uh, so I worked beats and then actually not long after I got into beats, um, and I, I had never, you know, again, in hindsight, I look back to my cadet time uh, and I did a lot of training and instruction in cadets, but I never thought that I would do that in policing. Like yeah. Policing, because I'm young, I just want to be out in the street, going to do my thing, having fun, not putting bad guys in jail, do whatever. Um, and then all of a sudden an opportunity came up um, to go help out some training stuff. So I went and did that a couple of times. A couple bosses came to me and said, hey, you're pretty good at this have you ever thought about applying for a secondment we have coming up with our tactics training in training section? And I said, no, but okay, I'll give it a try. Applied, got it. Mm. Did six months on a secondment. uh, Ended up getting hired full-time after that because I'd gone back to the beat for a few months, got hired, went and did that. Had to leave that position a little bit early. Um, And then uh, after I left training, I went uh, to Northwest Division and I would have gone back to Div, but the only reason I went to Northwest is because that's when they did the split. So they had okay. taken all, well, not all, but a bunch of members from downtown, put them in Northwest. It happened that my old squad was taken out of downtown and went Northwest. Yeah, And so that's why I went to that squad. Um, then uh, once I was, I spent a year there and then hospitality policing unit position opened up. So Ryan was building that team and.
0: You make a lot of people mad saying that. Yeah, no, no, I know.
1: It's okay. (laughs) I hate that that name more than anybody else. (laughs) I was
0: going to throw it into your bio, but I was like, I won't (laughs) cut you at the knees right at the beginning.
1: Yeah. I just have everybody (laughs) listening. Uh, When they gave me my plaque for gang suppression, I asked them like, can you please not put HBU in there? And they put it in there anyway. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and of course i was i was lucky enough to get hired uh, for HBU that became gang suppression and did four years so i again uh, you talk about places i never thought i'd work i never thought i would do work like that like gang suppression stuff I it was never even on my radar and i'm a guy who moves around um <laughs> a lot of it is because i get i want new challenges i get bored four years is the most I've ever spent in any full-time unit mm. and I loved it. Like I, that gang expression where like that type of work is good, good, valuable work and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, and then from there, um, I went to Southwest for a year with the intention of trying to apply for promotion and was promoted and got promoted where I am now in Northeast uh, Division. And then of course, through eight years, nine years of that time, I've been a member of our public safety unit and in that public safety realm, I've gone from uh, crowd management member so just a, a line member <clears throat> all the way up to uh, now where I'm uh, the training sergeant a tactical advisor and one of the leads of that program and also uh, one of the supervisors for our, our mun- munitions side okay so
0: uh, when did you get into PSU do you remember 2014 what was kind of if you could kind of run us through what's some of the training that uh, you went through and then maybe if it's changed for the guys now what um, what that training kind of looks like. Just so even the public has an idea of, you know, Hey, these are the people who show up when there's all the protests and stuff going on. This is, uh kind of the things we put them
1: through and, and what they're there for. So, you know, traditionally the public safety units were riot troops. So, uh, back in the, I think most of them were formed in the seventies. Um, they were called riot troops. They were for riots and it was kind of a very basic, you give them a shield, give them batons, give them helmets, probably some coveralls and they march around. And your job is to um, stop riots, uh, I guess, kind of prevent riots, but not really. Um, but it was a very basic, generalized uh, training and terms. <clears throat> and of course, throughout the years it developed like everything else. So when I stepped into the public safety unit, um, so there's a course that's ran. it's called a 40 hour course. And that 40 hour course runs the gambit from um, basic knowledge our equipment line movements. So in that regard, very um, similar to the military and that, just the marching um, and the choreographed movements, I guess you could say choreographed, um, but very controlled. Um, Part of that is also, um, it's a very command driven unit. So you, in policing, our members are given a lot of, a lot of um, sway in their decision making. Like you go to a call with you or your partner, sometimes by yourself, you have to make those decisions and you Yes, you can phone your sergeant or maybe have them show up, but at the end of the day, the vast majority lie with you. In the public safety unit, it doesn't work like that. Mm. Um, Everything that we do is command-driven. So the commanders um, are going to make those calls. They're going to do it with a lot of input. Um, However, um, there's a reason for that. So when I stepped into this world, I didn't know any of that. I wanted to do it because I had heard it was a good team atmosphere. Um, You get to know a lot of people throughout the service. You get to see a lot of different ideas, new faces, Um, and, and to be fair, when I stepped in and for a long time, the city of Edmonton didn't have a lot of, we don't have a lot of unrest. Like the only things that, that I can remember 2001, we had the Canada day, Mm. they they call it riots, but it really wasn't a lot of unlawful stuff. But I mean, not riots like you see in other places in the world. Yeah. And then 2006 during the playoff run where, I mean, there was a lot that happened there and it was, wasn't good. But again, to say it was a full blown riot, I, I don't think so. And. Uh, but that, but that's what the city had seen. So it was more like a, a party unrest. Yeah. Uh, or sports related or not political activism, not, um, not things, again, that you might see in other places in the world. So when I joined, um, good program, um, but we also saw a change in the unit. So uh, one of our long-term sergeants and acting staff sergeants that had ran the unit retired. And there was nobody up behind him to kind of take over that spot. So um, people that did step in, certainly didn't have the experience that he had. So we kind of had this this period where, um, you know, sometimes things didn't go as smooth and in any anyway, we just had some hills to climb. And um, as I progressed, I was lucky that I think within a year, I had applied for and was accepted into our munitions program. So our, our special munitions and, and chemicals. And um, so all, what that is, is that's the members in the unit that, that have um, all of our specialty equipment when it comes to Um, running from impact weapon systems all the way to uh, if we ever had to deliver uh, CS gas or or anything like that. So a lot of training, another course. Mm -hmm. So another week-long course you'd have to take to even qualify. Plus, um, as you get into these specialty units, every year you have to do more and more and more training to keep qualified. And it's usually twice a year at least. And then that's away from what the unit has to train. Um, So I continued in, I think it was 2017, in training, I got a, a variety of experiences training, but even when I left training, I was still helping teach a bunch of things throughout the service. So one of the things that I've been very good at in my career is um, coordination of scenarios and, and building training like that, because I really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So I'd gone to a couple of the bosses and said, hey, we're having some issues with um, just some of the coordination stuff. And I, and I said, I think it's just because some of the people that are doing it don't have the experience um, in doing creating this and coordinating this. So the the two big bosses at the time said, yeah, we'd love to have you come in and help. So that very quickly went from me helping to I took over that program uh, less than a year later when it comes to training coordination of of all the training in the unit. Shortly after that, uh, I was put on what's called a tactical advisor course. So uh, myself and a few others were put on a course that were, we were trained by uh, ex-police officers from the UK. Uh, so we were we're technically internationally certified tactical advisors and, um, you know, the tactical advising part is, um, that's, I mean, I could spend another two hours on that topic, but essentially what it is, is you are assisting the commanders and making their decisions. So you have to be well-versed in law. You have to be well-versed in tactics. You have to be well-versed in the capabilities of the unit, um, because our commanders were all part-time. So mm. they might not understand all that. And you have to be able to deliver advice with the positives and negatives to each option, try and get your commander to be able to pick the best option, but you're not the commander. So it's not your job to, to make the decision. You just have yeah. to, to help point them down the right path. And you might not always get it perfect, but that's- kind of like,
0: here you go. Yep. Yep. This is, you can do <laughs> this, luck. you can
1: do this, you can do this. <laughs> Here's the positives and negatives to each. And then we talk about it and
0: you kind of move forward. Are for they the sending you away for that kind of training or they bring all these guys in?
1: So they bring them here. Um, for that, they brought them here, I should say. Um, I mean, we we have sent members away on training, certainly. Um, it just COVID kind of oh, put a snap yeah. on that as well, right? So, yeah. and this was just before COVID. Uh, and then from there, um, I was a tactical advisor for some small deployments, like some of the stuff we do, like New Year's. and um, But then, of course, um, Black, Lives Matter, or Black Lives Matter, George Floyd happened. Um, Black Lives Matter came to be um, the convoy protest. We we essentially went from Edmonton doesn't have a lot of this stuff yeah. to we have everything that everybody else does. And so what that did as a, as a tactical advisor is I got a ton of operational experience doing that job. Um, I got a ton of operational experience being a munitions guy. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went from, yeah, no experience you get in Edmonton or very little to all of a sudden it's like, every couple of weeks we're doing something and the way that it worked out and just by attrition, um, myself and um, one of the other bosses in the unit, we ended up doing exclusively every one of these things. So um, we had hired 10 and only two of us were left doing operational deployments. And that's, that's for a variety of reasons. Like people had personal stuff, they had work stuff, they had to step away, some um, just couldn't do it. I mean, you'd end up, we had one, one very senior member that was in one of our disruption teams as those were formed, like it's very difficult to be a part of our public safety side when you're in those units cuz yep. we deploy on the same stuff. Yeah. Um so not his fault at all. But anyway, um it just ended up that um, myself and and well, I'll say his name, Mike Kiki. And anyway, <sighs> we ended up doing all of these deployments. So we got very experienced in doing that, which is good. Mm. But it it's also it shouldn't be like that, but
0: well, yeah, and I was looking at a stat. Uh, there was an article today in the Edmonton Journal just talking about uh the total amount of overtime spent on. I want to say it was on protests from last year, and then the spokesperson for the EPS show, uh, you know, was talking about. Well, this is how many protests we go to, and COVID affected the numbers and stuff. But they showed a graph in there, and I think it was from 2019 through to this year. Like the number of protests go up by the hundreds. Yep, and Uh, I think last year we had something like, or sorry, not last year, but the year before, uh, it was something like 400, it was over 400. So it was like multiple protests a week. And I know just from being on the public safety unit, like the amount of call outs and standbys and and things that come up, uh, yeah, it was a hell of a lot.
1: You know, it's interesting. And we, I mean, we have, certain people in town and certain lawyers in town that take pokes at the unit. and um, But the the reality of it is they don't really know what they're talking about because they don't know what we do. Um, but the public safety unit is called that for a reason. We are no longer a riot troop. Yeah. Like we do, like when we run our courses and I, I'm very, so we have a new course coming up in March too. And every time I'm in front of these new candidates, I say we are a crowd management team. Our job is to proactively prevent this stuff from happening if we can and the convoy protest was interesting and it's it's garnered a lot of political attention and a lot of attention from uh, both sides and and to be fair it's the first time in my career like I'm not a very political person um and I i purposely not a political person because I you know there's there's certain things on each side that I'm like okay I can see the the validity in that and then there's other things where I'm like Everybody's equally as crazy with some stuff, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and some of the extremism. I'm like, oh, it's just just anyway. But what we saw in the freedom convoys is that um, <clears throat> both sides of the spectrum were incredibly mad at the police. Um, one side was mad because they felt that we were taking their freedoms away, or whatever, and back, uh, you know, in regards to vaccinations and all. Like, and a lot of it was stuff that we had no control over at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other side just doesn't like us because they think that we're you know, placate should, should to the exactly other yeah. and should be defunded and all that stuff. So it, it was the first time in my career where I sat there and I'm like, wow, like we are on an Island by ourselves, yeah. but while doing these deployments um, for one, I think the public safety unit did an exemplary job. And I think um, there was a lot of things done that might not have been popular with certain groups, but it prevented people from getting hurt. Yeah. It prevented fights um, really public safety you know that is our job we are there for public safety and we accomplish that even if people aren't happy that we didn't do other things or you know it you know from a tactical advisor position too you sit there and I know one of the things that everybody's mad about is the um, the injunction mm. and you know we had talked about um, you know the the ability for us to enforce certain things without starting a confrontation, that can lead to even bigger confrontations. And I think the the lack of understanding of, hey, if I do A, it can lead to B, C, D, and then all of a sudden we have caused, um, not a riot, but a unrest. And I'm like, yeah. we have to, like, there's all these things that it's, it's, a, it's a lengthy process to think about this stuff. And sometimes you know, you're like, okay, well, some people aren't going to be happy about this, but if it's to keep people physically safe, we're going to do it.
0: Well, I think you the the unit allows a, a lot of things to um, happen. So we stand out there, and it's like, hey, this group wants to protest this. Yep. Oh, so go ahead! And then this the counter group shows up, and they want to protest the opposite, and yell at you know, both, both are yelling back and forth. It's like, go ahead. we you know, that's your right. Um, we stand in the middle, and basically just get crapped on yeah. <laughs> by yeah, both yeah, we do. sides. So you're facing one side and they're screaming at you. are like, all right, I'll turn to this side. And they turn over and it's like, oh, that person's yelling at me too. It's like, yeah, well, sure takes a lot, uh, uh, you know, takes a very good person to stand in the middle and take all that. But um, I think they allow, uh, I don't want to say like allow things to happen because, you know, it's your right. But um, we're there to make sure everybody can express themselves legally and lawfully. Yes. Um, But even with uh, your rights, there are limits. You can't infringe on other people's rights to a degree. So yeah, I I think people lose sight of that when it came to a lot of this. And just everything's been a protest lately. It has, yes. (laughs) So people have been losing their minds about every single thing (laughs) under the sun. Um, Can you talk a bit about uh, maybe Ottawa? Because we were deployed there. Yes. And... Maybe just what your thoughts were around that and some of the stuff you saw.
1: Yeah, um, <clears throat> I'm probably going to make a lot of people mad with this comment, but um, I said when I got there, I was talking to my wife, and I said if I could videotape what I'm seeing and send it to you, like from the ground, not from the the media, I'm like it. It was an occupation, and I. Again, I, I I won't get into the political element of it or whether people agree or disagree with vaccinations. Right? I don't care. That that's that's all personal opinion. They can, they can stay with people. But when we got on the ground, um, we were approached by many people that lived in, especially the downtown core of Ottawa. Yeah. And and these people were coming up to us and shaking our hands and hugging us and being like, "Thank you very much for getting them out of here." Like one couple came up and and they said we couldn't leave our house. Like yeah, I think they lived in an apartment, but they said we'd walk out and we'd get things thrown at us and people spitting at us. And they said, if you didn't openly agree with what the convoy people were saying, they would attack, like they would, it was just crazy to me. And I said, we live in Canada. We, that's the capital of our country. That should not be allowed to happen. I don't care what your political views are. I don't care what your stance is on, on what was happening during COVID. Like that cannot be allowed to happen. And what I found frustrating is uh, we went to Ottawa, we did this, um, our, our training actually worked very well. Like our processes, it was kind of rough at first because we had never done anything like that or at least not since Toronto and uh, um, a long time ago and that, that did not go perfectly in a lot of ways. Um, and, you know, you'd hear people in Edmonton for this convoy stuff being like, oh, the cops are, are all with the right-wing people and, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We just went to Ottawa to help, really at the end of the day, free up that city so people can live. Yeah. I'm like, no. It, yeah. <laughs> but... Uh, I will say this when we were in Ottawa, the, the members that went there did ex- an exceptional job. Um, again, the training we had done for years uh, came to fruition and worked really well. The command structure, so obviously Ottawa take, took a lot of heat because they didn't do a lot off the bat. And I, it's funny, the same people that would call them down for that across Canada are the same people that are the reason why they were scared to act in the first place. Yep. But once they did act and that deputy chief took over, their command system and process was the best I've ever seen. Um, the the briefings we had, the rules of engagement we had, like just the structure which we um, were to act upon and, and within was stellar. Yeah. And I've actually said here, I'm like, if we have something here that happens and we have to have a huge deployment like that, having that process or these processes are going to be super important for our success. Um, and of course it did. And, and we... You know some of the things that we would do, and I, I know that this gives away any tactics, but we would clear this occupation from an intersection, and then we would slow, slowly do that, control that intersection, put some fencing up, and it was just a very controlled, methodical process. There wasn't running in and having to fight a bunch of people. There was there was a time where it was a little volatile for sure, but um, beyond that, slow and and successful. And I. That was one of the better experiences I've ever had, especially in this public safety unit uh, world, um, to see the majority of it being very good. Yeah. Like it was, I don't think you could, you can't buy that experience. Like that's.
0: I thought it was really good for a lot of the uh, guys when they got there just to see, like there's nothing we've seen here on that scale outside of the the one uh, BLM protest mm-hmm. that marched around downtown and then White Ave. Uh, that was certainly uh, quite a, a mess to deal with. But, uh, and that was almost the same thing where if you didn't openly agree with people there, they were coming after you. And some people were throwing things from way back in the crowd. And, uh, but yeah, Ottawa was like a, a whole nother level just because we were, we were mixed in with several other police services on the line trying to coordinate resources. Uh, I couldn't imagine... Mm-hmm. Just trying to get that going.
1: Yeah, you know, and it's funny. As interesting as these experiences are, um, it's it, it's it's good to have, and not good. I shouldn't say good because I don't. The way the world is right now, I wish none of these things had happened. Like I wish George Floyd didn't happen. I, I wish that this Ottawa stuff, like it didn't it didn't get to that, or none of these things, yeah, um, had occurred. However, it's interesting to see the 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 difference between the groups. So, like Black Lives Matter. Um, or equity, equity for all, I believe is what the actual March was called uh, comparative to what happened in Ottawa, like very different reasons for it occurring and, um, you know, different groups on either side or or different spectrums, I guess, some political views and, and societal views, but a lot of the, the similarities was striking to me. I'm like, just the things that they would do because they're people. I mean, it's humans being humans. It's, it's not, um, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your viewpoint on the world is. We're still people. Um, but Black Lives Matter though, <clears throat> when we had the, that protest, like there was what, 15,000, maybe more, 16,000 people at the ledge. And mm-hmm. and certainly we stood there on the streets and people, and, and this is, this is why it's frustrating for me sometimes when people call us down. I'm like, we stood there for hours while people said they were going to kill and rape our families as yeah. they're driving by. And I'm like, people don't know that. Um, and we had members breaking down after because they had never, they had, we're police officers, people get mad at us all the time, but the things they were saying to us were so bad, and we didn't react to it, we didn't get mad at it, well, I mean, people got upset, but but no response, the discipline was really good, but the vast majority of that crowd um, was was good. Like, we we still had people at at the the Black Lives Matter equity for all, like, we're still walking by us and quietly saying, hey, like, appreciate you being here. Yep. Um, whereas in Ottawa... We, you know, I, I guess traditionally some of the people that were in Ottawa would be the ones that were rah 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 for the police and they, <laughs> some of the stuff they would say to <laughs> us. And anyway, it was it was a uh, interesting experiences again to see the differences with the similarities. And um, you know, you know, again Black Lives Matter. At the end, when when we had that incident near the high level, that was not a big group. Like so, you talk about sixteen thousand people, and there's only like fifty that caused problems after. Yeah. Whereas in Ottawa there was thousands of people causing problems at, like it was yeah yeah it, it was a
0: well and one thing that struck me the most about the difference between the whole uh, march uh, uh, with the equity group and then when you look at uh, Ottawa was how the media portrayed it mm-hmm. so uh, you know they just made everybody in Ottawa out to be racist misogynists and all kinds of stuff uh, when we got there and we're standing on the front line, that crowd was 50% minorities. Yes, it was. Because yeah. there's a lot of truck drivers. <laughs> yep. There were a lot of East Indian guys in there. I think the two people I saw at the front of the lo- uh, thing the most were uh, Middle Eastern guys. Yep. But I, I was expecting uh, it just to be white, a bunch of white people with uh, no sleeves on their shirts and <laughs> their trucker hats on. But yeah, no, it was a very mixed crowd. And... It's it's just interesting what you see at the ground level, as opposed to what the politicians tell you, as opposed to what the media spins out there. Um, I wish I wish we could show more of what we see on a day to day basis.
1: I agree. I think um, <clears throat> this has come up lately. Like, I actually feel bad for our um, police commission and um, some of the the heat they're taking from people, and um, you know. We've had politicians and people in the city um, that have had very strong oppositional views to the police that then take the time to come and see what we see and do what we do. And then they realize, oh, that's not what I thought. Oh, I didn't know they they deal with that. Oh, I didn't know people talk to them like that. I didn't know people. Well, that's a decision they have to make in this moment. And then they also realize we're people. There's certainly police officers who make mistakes. There's there's certainly bad police officers in places, but it's not how it's being portrayed. And, um, you know, we still have people in the city, including lawyers, that will post stuff from all over the world about police officers doing bad things. And I'm like, well, I could do that for lawyers, and I could do that for doctors, and I could do that I could do that for any profession yeah. and find you articles about people that have done bad things, yeah. like bad things. Um, and, you know, it's... It's, it's a whole different topic, but that's one of, the, one of the main reasons I think we're having problems getting people to do this job. Why would you want to do this job with that kind of stress on top of the stress that you have to deal with? And um, I, I didn't I mention this, but I, I mean, I've been a CISM or critical incident stress support, peer support person, I guess for lack of a better term, for, for many years now. And <clears throat> the trauma, you know, we talk about trauma-informed practices and, and we talk a lot about trauma these days. I don't disagree with it. Um, I've worked operationally almost my whole career and I see it all the time with people we deal with and it's certainly, I, I can see how it would be a cause for a lot of the things that happen, but I know every, every police officer I know that has any amount of operational experience, we could sit down in a room mm-hmm. and you talk about trauma and you talk about the things they've seen and experienced and how it never leaves them. And, um, you know, you hear comments from people and this came up during the equity for all, uh, Black Lives Matter protests where people are like, well, I can't take my color off at the end of the day. It's with me for life. And that's true. I won't ever dispute that. But their counter to that is also, well, you guys are cops. You just take your uniform off. At the end of the day, it's just a job. I'm like, mm. no, wrong. Yeah. Yeah. The things I've seen and the things that have occurred or the, the the death and destruction, like that will never leave me. And it will never leave any other police officer that sees it. You don't take that off and you don't shed that at the end of the day. Yeah, That stays with you for the rest of your life. And um, that as well, I, I think we don't do a good enough job explaining that to people and the public being like, we chose this job. I, you know, I volunteered for this. I wasn't conscripted to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. Um, but even I didn't realize, and I'm from a family of cops, just what I would see and experience and the effect that that would have on me as I went through my life.
0: I would also say like, I've never agreed with the narrative, like you're saying. And, but even if it is a job and you chose to do it, it still has an effect on you because, uh, you know, like you're saying, your whole family did it, so that's calling down everybody that came before you, saying they're all yep. systemically racist, yep. they're all whatever they want to call them. It's like, well, no they're not, and where's that narrative coming from? And I don't think it's uh, as easy as just saying, oh, you know, one, one's an immutable characteristic, the other one's just a uniform. They're they're the same at the end of the day. Yeah, um, yeah so totally agree with you. Um Speaking of that, so what kind of effect has any of this had on family, friends, uh, kind of relationships outside of the job? Can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, to talk first about external things, um, like operationally external things, like I've, I have seen a lot. Um, so throughout my career, and this is probably the first time in my career where I've slowed that down because I'm a supervisor now and, and it's a whole different purview of things that you need to do. But I always was tried to be one of the first ones on scene at big events and um you know for the first part or first bit of that i think it was to try and gain the experience and the excitement of it was certainly as a young man um that's that's a big driver but then as i went farther on in my career it was more i felt like i wanted to truly help and to be at those to me was helping but i've seen you know i was uh in 2016 or 2016 sorry 2018 um I saw that 16-year-old girl get killed in a crosswalk by a drunk driver mm. um, who ended up fleeing and I ended up following him. And, you know, I say to a lot of people that that decision for me to leave that scene, because I saw her and I, I said, I opened my door and she was, she was gone. Like I, I've seen a lot of death and yeah. I was like, there's nothing I can do, but I can go get him. Yeah. Uh, the triple fatal that happened at the Starbucks on Gateway a couple of years ago. Like I, I watched an 18-year-old die in front of me. Like she just, it, there's things like that that continue to happen um, that that never leave you. And, um, you know, I, I find my wife is very good and very accepting of some of the, the issues I've had after um, in dealing with that stuff. Um, but the external things we have, I think we have a very good support system to help deal with that. The internal processes or the internal issues that we have and the external is in, you know, a certain lawyer in town, um, certain politicians in town. I find that is a lot more difficult to deal with. I mean, you and I have talked, it's no secret, a certain lawyer in town, put pictures of my family up on Twitter and, um, has done everything in his power to vilify me whenever he gets an opportunity. Um, what's frustrating is, is <clears throat> I won't say the lack of control, but if I were to do that to him or anybody else, they would immediately complain and try and and make my life a miserable hell for years. Yeah, but they're allowed to do that, and yeah. and there's no consequence to it. Yeah, to me, that's a bully. Like you, you know, you're going to do this, and there's going to be no pushback. Um, and it, it's it's very frustrating, and that kind of stress at home has been hard to hard to take. Um, you know, I I don't everybody you can be a critique of the police. You're and everybody says that's their right, and it is. Um, you can question, you can ask questions. But it seems to me that there's no for some people, it's just a, a hatred of us. Like they just it doesn't matter what we do. They hate us yeah. and and they don't even really have'. An, they think they have an understanding, but they don't. Um, and that again doesn't give you any platform to try and work with them to help understand. And we have a politician in town that's like that. like i, I I've said to guys at work I'm like, it's there's almost no point on worrying about it anymore because there's nothing you'd ever say. Yeah. That would allow that person to understand where we're coming from. And then in other parts of all these people's lives, they're they're very open and and you know, willing to talk and 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 work with all these groups, but it's like with the police, they're like, nope. They just yeah. they just don't want us around.
0: Well, and I think for whatever reason, whether it's political motivations or maybe they've had some prior experience and they base everything on that one, you know, example,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, there's no no Foundation from which you can even begin to agree with some people, Uh, whether it's lawyers, the politicians, media, whoever's putting out certain narratives. Uh, Yeah, it's like, well, okay, if if you're just gonna scream and shout, like, where do we even start with that?
1: Yeah, and I, what's difficult too is that, and this is, um, you know, from our gang expression days, some of the the stuff, or I mean, the stuff, the big complaint that we've had going on. and you have people going out like, so the the police service does an investigation. They find themselves that they don't believe anything bad happened. And then certain people in the city don't like that answer. And so they decide, well, I'm going to go on to Twitter. I'm going to go on to social media yeah. and I'm going to start vilifying <laughs> these members. And I'm like, could you imagine? And we all have been to court where we didn't like the decisions that came down. Could you imagine if we then went on social media and we're like, oh, here, this, this, this guy, this accused or wasn't accused. And we start calling them down, putting yeah. pictures of their families like, Blasted no. the
0: judge or exactly. somebody on there.
1: <laughs> Not only is that not acceptable, but professionally, I would never do that. I would never even dream of that. And yet, we have professionals in the criminal justice system that are that are are doing that. Yeah. And I'm like, it just blows my mind. But I came to a point this summer where I kind of just let it go. I was like, I'm not allowing. And I, I talked with my my wife about this. Like, we are not going to allow someone like that to drive how we feel. Yeah. Not only that, but I mean, I, that one, one person in particular actually made comments about a a broad, a very popular broadcaster in town and started calling that person down. And I'm like, what kind of anger do you have inside you that you just off the cuff start attacking this guy? Like, but you know what that, when that happened, I was like, you know, that just shows what kind of person he is. And it's not worth allowing them to control how I feel. It's like
0: when anybody yells at us on this job and they say all these things, the common one is, you know, I make more money than you. Yeah. You must be mad. And they say things about your wife or whoever. And it's just like, end of the day, I just think, I don't know, I go home to a pretty good life. So I I don't know what your big gripe is, but you must have a pretty bad must have it pretty bad and you're not doing anything to nope. fix your position because nope. all you do is blame everybody
1: else for your problems. <laughs> and and we've, you know, I I try and and use that perspective at at home, at work, and cuz you're right, same thing. I have a beautiful family, I have a, a live in a nice neighborhood, nice house. Like we we've worked for everything we've had and we've mm-hmm. had uh, definitely hills to climb along the way. Um, but I'm not I go home and I'm happy. I'm not letting anybody take that away from me. So.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing, right? I think uh, a lot of people don't realize that nowadays if you work for something, people can't take that away from you. Agreed. So, um, so I wanted to get on just to what it's like being a sergeant now <laughs> and tell us about kind of what it's like managing a group of people in today's world, I guess. Uh, well, especially mm-hmm. knowing how much trouble you cause probably for <laughs> a lot of your bosses.
1: So, <laughs> so I, uh, I really enjoy being a patrol sergeant. I, I really do. Um, I think um, I would have no interest in being a promoted rank in the police service if I couldn't be directly leading people. Mm-hmm. Um, you are correct. The things that I um, I did in my career and even the things I did as a teenager, they helped me as a father and they certainly helped me as a, as a patrol sergeant. And I find um, it's actually given me more patience. Yeah, It's allowed me to get ahead of issues and deal with those issues. Um, it is a different culture and a different time um, in policing. Um, but I think, and, and I've been very open about this, to a lot of people, so I'm not afraid of saying it. We still have an issue developing leaders. We might develop managers, we might develop um, to promote, um, but we really need to focus more on building leaders that care about their people and all their people. And I, um, you know, as a young constable, you wanted to just be surrounded by people like you, like you wanted to be, I only wanted people around me that were going to yeah. do the same as me. Like, let's go, let's go catch bad guys. Let's go, um, you know,
0: like you're the average tri- of the five people. You hear 100%. Out with. <laughs> let's
1: go to the gun calls. Let's like all that, that high octane stuff. And then now as a sergeant, I'm like, no, I want a variety and a mixture of the type of police officers that are in my squad. And I want different viewpoints and I want different uh, backgrounds. And I like, that's what's going to make you a strong team, and um, I, I kind of had that idea going in, and then being there has solidified that in my mind. Um, but I still have um, hiccups, and I, I I actually try and make it a point, like every six months, I'll sit down with everybody in the squad, and I <laughs> it makes them uncomfortable, but I sit there and I'm like, what am I doing, or what can I do better? Um, and we always have these conversations going with with each other, and um, you know, I find in the squad the The majority of them are quite open with me, yeah, um, and will talk with me it, it, again. It's I'm still their sergeant, so there's there's obviously elements of that that um, you have to be aware of. But I, I have really enjoyed it. It's a job that um, <clears throat> I work in a good division. I I have really good bosses, and I I've said this a couple of times. We've had some big incidents. Uh, like it was actually our crew that was working for that uh, that. Random stabbing that happened in the north end. Okay, where the, yeah. the gentleman died, and then the other just a two, couple of weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, so it was our squad and, and one of our sister squads. And I said after that happened, what I find in our division too is that we all work very well as a leadership team together. So you go to incidents like that, and you will work together. And my staff surgeon is very good, and the other staff surgeon on that side is he's, it's an acting one, but he's very good. Like I don't feel alone with the things I have to deal with. And I yeah. can go to them and I can get their advice or I can talk to them about things. Um, and it makes a huge difference. And it's that team that has allowed our division to be so successful. And that was a good example of what happened um, when that that homicide occurred is um, we were, I mean, it was probably top two most chaotic scenes I've ever been to, just because of when it happened, where it happened, people everywhere. Um, by virtue of how witnesses work, like we were getting... Tons of calls and information.
0: Well, with the Saskatchewan stuff, it's it just happened exactly now. It. Everybody's exactly. really on high alert.
1: And so, uh, but we were able to to deal with the chaos at first, slow it down. And then we were able to successfully find the suspect. Um, I mean, really, you wish you would have found him right away or you wish that you could do something to prevent what happened because um, it was truly senseless. But at the same time, once it did happen, it took us less than four hours to, to find him from, from the start of knowing nothing about yeah. anything right yeah. so and that was that was a team based response which um yeah i couldn't imagine i said to the cuz i wasn't even the the osm or the, the the initial commander i was one of the i was the first supervisor on scene um but the commander was actually my sister squad uh, their boss and when she showed up we both said after we we're like if you had to do this alone i, I don't even think it would be possible like yeah. it, you would you would have to call other bosses in to come help you so so it's uh, it's been a very fulfilling job. One of the most fulfilling jobs I've ever done in the police service. Um,
0: so with that, uh, maybe we'll talk a little bit about some of the stuff I mentioned in your bio. So you do a bit of work on the private sector side. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you've been doing outside of policing?
1: Yeah, so I, I started working casually a few years ago for um, the SIPs. And, uh, that's, so Mark Bloxham who taught me my first course when I was like 18, he was my sergeant in training section. Um, so we've crossed paths throughout the years quite often. He was an ex-mall guy back in the nineties, eighties, nineties, I think he's quite old. Um, but, uh, anyway, I had an opportunity to go work with him, uh, to just do some casual instruction. Um, so we do things like recertification on uh, PPCT, so pressure point control tactics. Um, we do... I've done uh, vehicle stop courses for peace officers. So all the courses I've done are for peace officers. So uh, peace officers around the area. Uh, I've gone to Bonneville. I've gone to Lac La Biche. I've gone to, um, Parkland County. I've, I did a course for all the city of Edmonton peace officers for transit and for, um, I think park rangers was another one. Um, so one of the big things I did for him was a, a crowd management type course, um, because. Peace officers, for example, in Lac La Biche, um, I believe it was Palo Days that they have up there, so they would have big events where there's a, a t- like thousands of people, and they're supporting the RCMP. Um, but in a place like Lac La Biche, they actually do most of the yeah. the the kind of face to face work with people. Um, so I ran a course for them. For the city of Edmonton, it was just because we were having peace officers uh, deal with crowded type issues, whether it's on the on the LRT transit platforms, whether it's at uh, like some of the festivals at City Hall. Um, and yeah, I, I find it makes me a much better instructor in a variety of ways because it's not police officers. They, they're peace officers and they do a very important task and, and the vast majority of them, like, I guess are very, very good, but it's different. And you have to, when you teach outside, um, you're not teaching police officers anymore. So you have to do some research, get to know what, do they do? What are they? What are they not able to do? What are they not allowed to do? Yeah,
0: like they don't come from a, a background with like so much structure yes. and formality to it. And, and
1: yeah. they're doing their job without firearms. They're doing their job yeah. like there's they're without tasers. Like there's there's things they're doing that um, you have to tailor your training for that. And it gives you a lot of respect for especially some of the rural peace officers. Like some of the things they deal with, or the 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 people they deal with that we do it too, but we do with yeah. you know two other three other systems on our belt. And they don't have that. Yeah. Um, So it's a really unique, um, it's a unique place to work. I I don't do it that often. Like, again, it's casual. So when it comes up, we might do it to do that. Um, But certainly it has been, or there have been some very good experiences um, that have helped me grow.
0: Yeah. Well, that sounds good. Do you think, is there anything we missed? Anything you want to cover that we didn't talk about?
1: You had a lot of points when you gave those to me. So.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think we covered quite a bit. Um, we certainly look to have you back. Once the, maybe another six months when things change. We'll see. Uh, it's coming up to winter, so hopefully there's not a ton of protests and riots yeah, going on in minus 40. <laughs> but um, no, I appreciate you coming in today. I think it was really good. Yeah. So um, we'll end it there.
1: Right on. Thanks for having okay. me.